0: I'll pray very quick. And I'm just going to pray for her real quick. Father, we bring Tina before you. Thank you, Lord God, for the miracle you've done in her life, for the miracle that she is. Lord, just testifying what a loving and gracious God you are, how you are a redeeming God, Lord. I pray, Father, really burn in our hearts, Lord, what you're speaking to us this morning. How can we, how can we love better, God? Help us to get out of what is comfortable and what is familiar, what is safe for us, and really go out there and find these women and find these men. Um, not just rescuing the unborn, but rescuing these men and women from from traumatic, traumatic choices, Lord. So I thank you so much for Tina. Thank you for her life and for her story, for the testimony that you have made her, Lord. She is a brand plucked from the fire. So yeah, fill her with your spirit. Let her speak according to your guidance, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guess you could talk better holding.
1: Well, good morning. It is a joy to be here. Let's see. How many of you have been here? for, uh, with Tad and Susan anyway, for eight years. (laughs) I think that's how, yay, I see. (laughs) I knew somebody had been. That's uh, how many years I think it's been that you've invited me to come and share with the congregation. And it's always a delight and a joy to be here. I love watching what God is doing in the midst of all of you and and watching how you are growing with little ones, I mean, (laughs) not physically, you might be too. Anyway, <laughs> we all do, right? But I am just so uh, blessed by each of you. So thank you for opening up your hearts and, and your ears and being willing to hear what God has to say to us today. So I'm going to open up with Genesis 127. And Genesis 127, you might just all say it with me. It's a verse we should maybe commit to memory. So here we go. God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's it. Every life is valuable. Every life has been created by God in his image with a plan and a purpose. And um, as Susan was sharing in 1984, President Ronald Reagan declared, I say 1984, and I look out and I'm like, how many of you might remember 1984? (laughs) 1984. Anyway, he um, made a proclamation that we would take one day at least, we should every day, but he made national proclamation that we would recognize the Sunday closest to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and call that sanctity, recognition of sanctity of human life. So Tad and Susan have done that. And that's why they typically ask me to come here. Um, One, I'm just going to go through a couple of slides with you. So that's 1984. My husband has the clicker and I changed everything on him, (laughs) all the slides. So he's like, you did what? Anyway, so um, that was 50 years ago, 1973. The lives that have been lost to abortion in the United States of America since 1973 are over 63 million. This is a grievous statement. In 2019 alone, um, the center, the CDC, everybody knows that term nowadays, right? CDC reported 629,898 lives lost to abortion just in America. In 2020, CDC has said 620,327. And so you can see this number is fluctuating and um Here are Kansas totals. Now, this is a a total that's hard to look at 2021, 7,849. It's a preliminary number, and um, the number is rising because we are celebrating that Roe v. Wade has been overturned as a federal law, which now means that it's pumped down to the states, and the states, the voters in the states, have a say in um, abortion. So, let me see. Who has an abortion? Okay, these are just some of the stats up here. I'll just let him run through those and you can take a read at them. Four in ten, regularly attend church. That should really shock us. And it should also convict us that we need to be a place that is receiving, that we would be a safe place that if a woman and a man were facing an unplanned pregnancy, whether it would be somebody who loosely attends once in a while, or it be somebody who's on church staff, they would be comfortable enough, safe enough to come and say to one of the brothers or sisters in their congregation, we need prayer. We have a situation. Okay. One out of four women will have an abortion by time they're 45 years of age. Again, not alone. If you just counted. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, we'd get a good idea of how many could be potentially among us. So while we are celebrating, we still have work to do. Um, one of the things that was pretty exciting is that right after Roe v. Wade was overturned in January, then we had at least 14 states that had trigger laws in place. You probably heard that term, right? Unless you live under a rock, you have heard lots of news coverage on this very controversial. Um, Anyway, they put those laws in effect and right away, abortion became illegal in many of these states or partially um, illegal. And so one thing that I just read this article not long ago, like it's January 13th, maybe the article was published that in the state of Texas, okay, their abortion rate is down 99.9% in the state of Texas. In the month of August, three abortions were reported down from over 2,500 typically in a month. So these are good things. And like Susan said, we need to be active and we need to be aware of what's happening, but the fight is not over. We have to continue to speak God's truth and we need to be able to be um, in God's will. And we need to be in his strength and his power, encouraging and speaking about abortion because it's an openly talked about subject now. used to be kind of quiet and people didn't really talk about it, but people are really ready to talk about it now. And people have very strong positions on abortion. And so we can speak the truth, God's truth in grace and in love, right? But we need to be equipped and ready to speak the truth. Um, Let's see. Okay, what's the next slide? There we go. All right, hold for there for a minute. Uh, We know ultimately that, Yes, the laws are good and right, but who's our ultimate lawmaker, right? God. God is the one who can overturn any law. He is the supreme judge. And yet he's saying, I want my people to stand up and speak truth, to stand up and be bold and be ready to give an answer for why we recognize that life is valuable, okay? So I haven't always held that belief. And um, I, I mean, I didn't believe that life was valuable, let alone that a holy God created me in love and with a purpose. The enemy of my soul, you know, we all have a very real enemy. Have you ever met him? (laughs) Yeah, you have, I'm sure. Anyway, um, he had me convinced that my life had no value, that my life was created for destruction for abuse, that my life was created for bad, that bad things would always happen. Have you heard people say, oh, I'm cursed. Just bad always happens to me. That was my belief. And so I had laid down and I was ready to believe it. I'm going to share my testimony with you today using a tool called a genogram. How many of you have heard of a genogram? Okay. Yep. A genogram is like a family tree of behavior. You tell the story using symbols, okay? And so women are always represented by circles and men by squares, and then the relationship by that sports bracket kind of thing there, right? I know, we're all watching sports, right? Keeping track of who's in the playoffs and all of that. Maybe not all of us, but anyway, so my mom and dad met when they were in their early 20s and then they became pregnant with me. Yep, I was born, not looking like that when I was born. However... People have accused me of being, you know, too big for my britches, bossy pants. Those are some of the names that I have, (laughs) nicknames. And then they had my two brothers. And then my parents divorced when I was four. Anybody have a four-year-old? Four-year-olds are pretty, pretty precious. So my whole world fell apart. My dad went on and he married his second wife and they had my sister and they divorced. And then he married his third wife and they divorced. And then my mom, she was marrying four different times and divorcing. Woo. What do you think I believed about relationships? They don't last, right? I mean, people would say to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, oh, I just want to be a mommy and I'm going to live happily ever after. Does anybody else have that dream? Like when you turn the last page of the storybook and it said, and they live happily ever after. This is what I thought could happen to my life. So uh, both of my parents struggled with addictions, alcohol, drugs. There was some mental illness in my family. And um, oftentimes there was abuse happening in my family to the children. When I was 13 years old, I lived with my mother and um, was being abused by a stepdad and also being trafficked. It's not something that I often share, but for now I'm sharing it with you. Um, He believed that was the best way for our family to earn income. And so when I was 13 years old, I became pregnant. Wow, there I was, my dream coming true. Always wanted to be a mommy, but I'm 13. And the adults in my life were saying, there's no way, you can't have a child. The only answer for you is abortion. I didn't know what an abortion was. It wasn't talked about like it's talked about now. Um, I was scared. An abortion is a hard topic to talk about. It is, especially if you have had personal experience with an abortion. So I'm going to ask you, hang on, Sanctity of Human Life Sundays used to be really hard for me to sit in church and hear the message of how valuable life is, knowing that my first child's life tragically ended in abortion. But we serve a God who is full of hope, healing, and forgiveness, okay? so hang on. So there I was 13 years old, I had an abortion. And um, I was full of a lot of pain when I left that clinic, lots of pain up here in the mental realm, and my emotions. Um, I really was beside myself and began to live a pretty reckless life trying to self medicate, numb out all that pain from the abuse from the trauma from the abortion, abortion. And so There I was doing alcohol, drugs, and lots of promiscuity myself. I met a guy named Tom when I was 15, and um, we got pregnant because I was looking for love in all the wrong places, right? I thought he was my knight in shining armor, and, you know, he would make me feel whole. And so we got pregnant when I was 15. I lived with my dad at the time. Dad never knew about the abortion because, remember, I lived with my mom. And uh, so I was terrified to tell him that I was pregnant. I'm thankful to say that when I told my dad, he agreed with my choice, which was I was going to have the baby and I was going to raise that baby because I knew from that past abortion that I could never go through that again, that I couldn't, I, I really, in my heart made a vow that I would never hurt another child again, as long as I lived. And so I was thankful that dad agreed with me and he said, yeah. You are going to have this baby. And then he said, I want to talk to that Tom Price. And, you know, (laughs) Tom gets right. Tom came over and he sat in the chair closest to the front door in case he had to make a quick getaway, right? And uh, he said, here's the deal. You two played like adults. Now you're going to pay like adults. I'm not going to raise your child. And Tom offered to marry me, my knight in shining armor. And dad said, no. Remember what happened in the beginning of my story? My parents got married because they were pregnant with me. So dad said no. And, um, we waited until my senior year, we had our baby. And then, uh, in our, my senior year, we got married because I turned 18 and I could, <laughs> I am thankful to say that 38, well, February 23rd will be 38 years that we'll celebrate our marriage together. Amen. <laughs> that was a um, a spoiler alert, (laughs) but uh, we had our daughter, Valerie, and then uh, Tom had joined the army and we were doing like the recruiter said, going around, seeing the sights of the world and all those things. And we had two miscarriages and then we had our son, Thomas. So here I was on my happily ever after life. I was on a mission. Okay, I thought if you're going to have a happy ever after life, well, then you're certainly going to have to be a perfect person, right? So I was trying to be the perfect woman, the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect everything. Does anybody else share this struggle of striving for perfection? Well, then you could agree with me that there's not a lot of peace when you're striving for perfection, is there? And so there we are trying to live this life in 1990. Tom came home. We lived in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri, and uh, he was in the army and he came home and he was being shipped off to the Gulf War. Well, that was not in happily ever after life. I couldn't deal with it. And you can't argue with the army. He had to go and he left and I uh, fell apart. And so I couldn't control this area of my life. I just turned to alcohol, drank and I drank and I drank until I passed out every night not very proud to say it, but our kids were basically raising themselves. They were seven and two at the time. And uh, my house was falling apart around us and they were taking care of themselves. And I realized I am beginning to do the very things that I said I would not never do. I would never be like my parents. Uh, I know some of us have made that statement. I would never allow my children to suffer or experience pain. And here I was continuing this family cycle of dysfunction. So it did shake me enough that I thought about this woman who I just thought, wow, she has a perfect life. I'm going to call her and ask her, how are you doing this? So I called her up and uh, she's my happy, happy friend, Jeanette. And she said, you know, if you really want help and hope, you need to come to church. And I was like, oh church why didn't I think about this before okay we'll be there so we showed up in church and we were perfectly dressed of course kids were sitting perfectly quiet on the front row I had no idea what I was going to encounter that day that day I encountered the living God the pastor was telling me I mean there were other in the room others in the room like you but you've ever been there and it's just you right he's talking right to you and he was telling me about this God who loves us so much that he recognized that we were separated from him because of sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin, that we might be forgiven and reunited with him, reconciled with him, and that we would have, we could have the hope of a happily ever after life for all eternity. And uh, this Jesus wanted a relationship with me. And so I bent my knee and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me for all of my past sin and to heal me for all of the brokenness that I had encountered. And I became what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, a new creation. (laughs) That's right. So a lot of people, as I've told my, shared my um, testimony with others, um, a lot of people have asked me, well, how did you walk free? from all of that. That's a lot, right? How did you walk free from all of that destruction? And so I thought I would share a little bit of that with you today. I love that you talked about the discipleship class or what's the book called now? There's more. There's more. Yeah. Because that's what God showed me that it was going to take a core group of believers to pour God's truth into my life to walk beside me so that I could learn what my true identity is. And uh, he knew that I needed that major healing in lots of areas. I would go to church and the worship music would be on like today, and I would just like tears, like somebody turned on the faucet, cry, 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 cry. And, finally, and I would apologize, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And one friend finally said, there's healing in those tears let them roll. God wants you to open up and allow him in. Um, So again, I was um, on my mission still, but I was this new creation. So there was this war of the spirit and the flesh going on inside, like, well, who am I really now? And um, I'm going to share with you how God helped me to break free. So next slide. There we go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was the very first scripture that God laid on my heart. If we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know him and who he is, then how can we expect other people to really listen to us? If we don't know who we are and who God is, you have to be rock solid in your belief of who he is. And then you can love others. You see what I'm saying? Because without his renewing of the mind and knowing who you are, we're still striving from our own position from our own place trying to tell other people you know let your talk match your walk kind of is the thing i'm talking about so proverbs 3 5 and 6 was the first verse that god ever helped me to memorize and i was probably there for like a year when i kept saying okay i got it what's next he was like we're not just talking about memorizing let's let this sink deep so trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Well, that's what I did. I read lots of self-help books and listened to all the secular experts and, you know, forming my own understanding of what it means to be a good person. Um, And I was forgetting the one piece. Oh, I need to acknowledge God in some of my ways. Nope, all, all my ways. So that was the first thing that... um, that happened in my life. And I remember I was probably only a believer for less than six months. And I heard this term about fasting and I was like, Oh, fasting, there's power in fasting. I was like, you see God in fasting. I'm going to be doing this and I'm an all or nothing person. And so it wasn't like, I'll just fast breakfast. It was like, I'll fast for three days. That's what I'll do. And so I grabbed my Bible and, um, instead of listening to, you know, all the secular teachings and everything, I just said, I'm just, I'm only going to read the Bible. I fasted from food and I fasted from all the, um, influences, influencers that had recently had been turning to for years. When I began to read God's word, I started in the, um, book of John, because that's what the chaplain said. He said, start reading in the book of John. If you really want to know who Jesus is. So I started reading in the book of John, and then I felt impressed by the spirit to write, take a notebook. And every time I saw a phrase that said, um, and you are in Christ, you are okay. I'm learning my new identity. At the end of that, I was reading all the way through John, all the way to Revelation, writing down every time I saw those phrases that were giving me an inkling into who believers really are, what we're called, what we, what power we have in us. By the end of the three days, I had over a hundred scriptures written down. That's pretty powerful. You see, God will teach you. God speaks just ask him. So I began to see my new identity. I typed those things up and I put them in prominent places, you know, where I would see them. And um, I tried to really meditate on that. The next thing that happened was I realized my mind was so, oh, perverted and so like off track in worldliness. And God laid Romans 12 on my heart. This time it wasn't like just memorize Romans 2. It was like, let's memorize the whole chapter. (laughs) and i was like a whole chapter of the bible well you can do it because if you have the power of christ in you his spirit the same power that rose jesus from the dead can help you memorize a passage in the bible right so i meditated on romans 12 in particular romans 2 and it says do not be conformed to this world that's what we formerly were right we, we knew, we learned, we grew according to the world system and the world way. But when we came to Christ, we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? So that we can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I began to recognize the mind needed renewed. Simply stated, renewing your mind according to Romans 12, 2 means interpreting, interpreting life through God's lens. Now you come before God with everything in your life and you say, help me to see your way here, God, help me to see you. And um, so, yeah, my counselor, I've had to go through many years of Christian counseling. It's okay if you need to you know, seek out Christian counseling or biblical counseling, pastoral counseling because you have a lot of trauma in your life and you can't quite walk it alone. Susan has helped me walk through a lot, thank you, and to process and put things where they needed to be. But she, one time my professional Christian counselor said, um, you know, your belief system comes from your experiences, trauma, woundedness, perception, what you think about yourself, other people's perceptions, your preferences, you know, like, oh, I prefer to be, And uh, this is where your belief system comes from, but it needs renewed because it's all from the world and not from God. if you haven't sought it in his um, word, the the last thing I'm going to share is this new strength that I had, okay? The new strength that I had, Galatians 2.20. This is a beautiful passage. I have been crucified with Christ, is no longer I who live, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. You don't always feel like you're a child of God. Okay. I love that we sang that song this morning, by the way, because it reiterates. That's right. Doesn't matter how I feel right now. The truth is I am a child of God and I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is where the new strength came from. You can do so much. When you lay down your own strength in your own will, in your own way, and you lean into God and you begin to receive his power and his strength, that's powerful. So here's the end of my genogram here. Okay. I never, ever imagined that this would be my life now, (laughs) that God would redeem us from the pit and that he would start a new generation, a new heritage, a new family line. Um, I do have the opportunity of going into our local jail and talking with some of the ladies there. And one of my uh, friends comes with me. She's a retired detective. So I always feel safe when we go in. I'm like, hey, Kathy, you think if the ladies get a little rambunctious? You still know what to do? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I like going in with her. Anyway, but she was telling a story that um, she had heard about someone who was walking, okay? They had a rope, okay? And on the rope was like the dad and the mom and uncles and all their sin and all their baggage, okay? And so they're all connected to this rope. But then that person was like, oh, I got so much horrible things in my past. And then they came to Jesus and Jesus cut the rope. And then he said, your bloodline is mine. Now, this is your your bloodline. And this is where you belong. And this is what God has done in my life and in your life, anyone who comes to Christ and believes in him. And I never dreamed that Tom and I would be celebrating 38 years marriage, that we would have two grown children married to Christ followers, and that we would have these five, soon to be six, grandbabies, all being raised to be Christ followers. And all of those patterns of destruction, um, divorce and addiction and abuse, broken away, a new chain. That's right. Hallelujah. And so that's what I'm saying to you today. Be open with your story know who you are in Christ, let your mind be renewed in the power of him. And he will tell you, I am a gracious and compassionate, long suffering, forgiving, redeeming God, you be the same to anyone that walks in your door. And so as you said, Susan, the work has just begun. I mean, it's not dependent on the laws. It's dependent on you and I, submitting and uh, surrendering to the power of Christ, Christ in us. You may meet someone and think, I wouldn't even know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. I don't have a story like that. I've never been through anything that they've been through, but here's what I do. I've never been in jail either. And he sends me in there and I'm like, oh Lord, what will I do? I will say, God, please help me. I don't know what you want to say. I'm stepping aside, Lord. You just use me like your tool, like your vessel, and you flow through me. So don't be afraid of anyone that you would meet in your path that might say to you, I got this issue going on. Don't be afraid. The spirit will help you. God will help you. But be willing, be willing. Every day, wake up and say, God, would you help me to look outside of myself and this life of mine? that i'm pursuing happiness and whatever the great american dream is anymore help me to look outside of that god help me to have your eyes help me to look and to see other people the way that you do and lord use me use me today in whatever way you want and so i say to you what is your story we all have one we all have a story what do you believe about yourself what do you believe about god And will you let him use you? Because we are the very vessels that have this hidden treasure within us. I want everybody to know what God has done in my life because I have the heart of God that says it is my will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance and have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're kingdom builders, right? We're ambassadors. We've been sent by God. Matthew twenty-eight. Read, spend some time in the end of that chapter. If you know Christ, then He's called you to go and make disciples. So thank you for letting me share. Shall I pray <laughs> with each of you? I'll be available afterwards if you want to talk more. If you, yeah, I'll just be here. Ooh, <laughs> Father, thank you so much. God, you know who in our weakness, Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. And so, Father, we just come to you and we repent on behalf of the body of Christ, Lord, that we have become complacent or fearful or not willing to speak and to share your truth, Lord. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. And your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we repent and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to renew us and set us on a path again. So Lord, let us be your pure and clean vessels that go into this dirty and destructive world, Lord, that we would go in the power of your strength, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we would go and boldly proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life everlasting. God, that we would be um, your vessels, your tools, we would be your compassion, Lord, we would be your eyes and your heart of love, Father, to the lost and broken world around us, help us, Lord, to be your people, help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, and to think your thoughts, and to walk your walk, Lord, we know that we are deeply loved, and this love is not meant to be kept for ourselves to be shared. So help us to share you, God. Help us to proclaim you in Jesus name. I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they would bring their brokenness and their woundedness and their sin, unconfessed sin and anything that hinders us, Lord, that we would bring it before you and we would cast it at your feet and we would receive from you a fresh, a holy and new strength in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tina. I didn't know if you guys might have a question or two for her. We have a little time. So if anybody has a question, I have a question. Okay. I'm going to ask my question. Well, so kind of, as I was hinting before, so Roe v. Wade has been overturned, but m- most of us just aren't even really sure. Like what do we do now? What specifics do you have? Um, uh, to exhort the church? What should the church be doing now? Anything? I mean, you've, you've done everything you've, you've worked at every level of this. So, um, what, yeah, what, uh, exhortation do you have for the church to get off our seats and make a difference?
1: Thank you. That's a great question. And I would love to talk about it. I have, um, Worked at the Pregnancy Service Center in Salina, Life Choices here in Manhattan. I don't know if you're all familiar with that or not, but it is a crisis pregnancy center that is Christ-centered. And um, before I went there, I was like super intimidated about talking to other people about my faith, really. I know it's hard to believe me intimidated because I'm up here like a magpie on and on, but really I was. And then going there, we had some training. And um, you could actually find this probably online at carenet.org. It's called Making Life Disciples, the training is. And it, it really just equipped me on how to ask good questions, okay? This is like in, in like um, counseling places too, probably, or I don't know what classes some of you have taken, but this is kind of like practical life skills, all right? If you want to be a good friend, be a good listener right so ask good questions and listen build relationship is really all it's about even jesus modeled this for us right he went into the place of the sinners and he listened you know they brought the woman at the well or he went to the woman at the well and he listened to her story and then he spoke truth into it so that's it be a good listener be a ready place know what you believe and why you believe it and don't be afraid to enter in, like um, a friend and I are leading a women's Bible study back in our, at my church in Abilene. And we're studying about the parables of Jesus. It's exciting, because you can use these parables in your everyday life. You know, I mean, that's how Jesus talked. So he had an example, or he had a story to share about something. So look for ways in the conversation to um, begin to Enter into a different level of intimacy, I guess is what I'm saying, for your relationship. with that person then, when they, uh, as my dad would say, when the rubber meets the road, you know, when the crisis, my dad is a truck driver, by the way, um, when the crisis happens, the first thing they think about is like I did, my friend Jeanette. I, she didn't preach to me, but she loved me and she accepted me and she lived Christ before me. And I saw that and it was so attractive and I wanted it. So I would say, That um, if you're in a group and the conversation of abortion comes up, be willing to enter it. And again, whisper that prayer. God, I have no idea what to say here, but help me. Help me. Okay. Don't be antagonistic. We don't want to be that way, you know, but we do all things in love. And uh, yeah, just, I think we need to pray and say, God, lead me to the people that need you today. Okay, you're not the Messiah, by the way. (laughs) I got that lesson quick. (laughs) I'm not the Messiah, but he is, and he lives in you. And so just be willing to go and to enter into people's lives. Make friends. Yeah, I know it seems so simple, right? Hi, my name's Tina. Do you want to be friends? (laughs) Not quite like that, but yeah. Yeah, so I'm a pretty open book. So if you have any questions, I'm, yeah. Did that help answer your question, by the way, Susan? Mm Mm-hmm yeah, be real. That's the big thing that I learned too about the pregnancy center. Like people can smell phony, right? You can too, right? I mean, yeah, be real with people. And I mean, I've had a ton of people say to me like, oh, I thought you had it all together. And I was like, no way. <laughs> because I just told him I blew it this morning, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. So be real and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I did. um, Most pregnancy centers have a post-abortion recovery ministry. So if you have that in your past or you know someone who does and they're really struggling, um, they say the average person will not really begin to um, come out from uh, the stage of denial in grief after an abortion until about maybe 15 to 30 years later. So if you know of people, I mean, I speak at a lot of groups where there's some Senior saints, we'll call them. (laughs) They're very white haired. And I can't tell you how many women have been in like their seventies and come up and shook my hand at the end and then whispered in my ear. I've never told anyone my story. That's a long time to carry that burden. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked at the pregnancy center, we would talk about well, you in this country legally have three options. It's um abortion, adoption, or keeping the baby and then we would have this little kind of like card that would parallel like you know abortion versus adoption you know one ends in death one and then ends in life you know and you just would go on and share some of those things. But for adoption, you have to, it's hard too, because I would be sitting across from a woman who was contemplating abortion. She's only about six or eight weeks pregnant. And she's thinking, I have no attachment yet to this baby because I haven't felt it move or anything. And, um, but you're asking me to carry the baby for nine months and then get the baby away. It's a hard decision for them to make.